The book of Bracious is a book about people. It's a book about HaKadosh Baruch Hu creating the world, delivering or revealing himself, at first attempting to reveal himself to the total sweep of the human community when, when the human beings weren't able to discern Hashem through the veil of history. Hashem had to reveal himself more selectively, more um, telescopically to one people, and that people would radiate knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to an entire planet. It's a book about HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacting with people. Across this biblical stage, Malachim appear and reappear, playing uh, lending drama to the proceedings, carrying out tasks of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, struggling with Yaakov Avinu and others to shape history. The Satan was clearly opposed to the Akedah because that reshaped religious history and Jewish history. Esav's Malach was clearly opposed to Yaakov's returning to Eretz Yisrael because that would shape history. So there are men... There are angels, and of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu reigns over the, or hovers over the entire proceedings. But interestingly enough, Bracious is also a book of animals. Many different animals ascend the stage during the book of Bracious, from the devilish Nachash in Sefer Bracious to, of course, the more passive animals of Noach, and then that Orev or the Yonah looking for dry land, returning to the Teva, and then finally heralding the end of the Mabel, to, of course, as I mentioned last week, the Ayal Achar, the other ram, replacing, substituting for Yitzchak, assuring that this day would be one of Korbanos and Akedah. There are many cattle that play significant roles, in particular, as the Avos try to, to settle this land, they start as people who raise cattle, and people who raise cattle aren't really able to live permanently on one hilltop, they have to constantly lead a nomadic lifestyle, wandering from hill to hill, looking for rich and fertile pasture land after they have eviscerated or have completely consumed one area. And the Avos are struggling to transform themselves from cattle raisers, from cowboys, as we would say, into farmers and people who have homesteads. And that's a sign that their presence in this land is becoming more permanent and more durable and more enduring. And that's really the drama of Toldos as Yitzchak, for the first time, becomes a farmer. But the cattle play an important role. Yaakov is, is, a, is a shepherd, and his cattle play an important role in Parshas Vayishlach, where he, he, he learns some of those great skills of leadership. Chazal were very sensitive to the fact that most of the biblical Jewish leaders got their start, started their career as Roetzon, as shepherds and herdsmen, be it Avraham, Yaakov, Moshe, and ultimately the great rower, the Roanem on David HaMelech. So, Many different animals, and of course, Yaakov's kennel-raising experience comes back to haunt him when his children deceive him by dipping blood or dipping the Ksonis Patsum of Yosef into a seer izim, into a goat, and proclaiming that Yosef has been killed, and replacing Yosef with a goat, sort of like an inversion of Haramariah, where Yitzhak was replaced with a ram, now Yosef is replaced by a goat. In any event, the animals play significant roles throughout Sefer Bracious in particular. However, in, in Parshish Chayesara, there's one animal that's highlighted. And it's almost laughable, because certainly as Jews, we don't really interact with this animal so frequently, so intensely. And yet, the Parsha in particular, the proceedings of Eliezer, the Evid of Avram, traveling to Avram Naharayim to locate, in Avram's previous family, to locate a fitting bride for Yitzchak, ultimately Rivka. So... He, the saga 
of Eliezer's travel in and of itself is amplified way beyond dimension, way beyond proportion. This could have been something which the Torah had detailed in a few psukim, and yet the Torah spends dozens of psukim describing nothingness. And Chazal talk about Yafasi chasan shal avde avos mitarasan shal banim. It's just looking at Eliezer and the loyalty and the morality and the faith and the prayer and all of his carefully calibrated, carefully governed activities is really a chance for us to see Avraham's glimmer, to see that Avraham's um, impulse or, or imprint and influence, person's true nobility and true virtue is sometimes only determined or discernible in how they impact the people around them. And if a person is really, truly noble and truly virtuous and truly of value, then hopefully by osmosis those around him are similarly inspired. And if Eliezer can act in that humble and dedicated fashion, it really speaks volumes about Avraham Avinu, that even Eliezer, who came from a nation that was cursed, from the nation of Ham, was able to redeem himself and his life by affiliating with Avraham. And he doesn't see Avraham as a hero, because no one is a hero to the people in their household, to their children, to their wives, to their servants. But his behavior is so uplifting and so inspiring, and it's really being able to see Avram through a filter. So, so much attention is dedicated to the saga of Eliezer. It really dominates the Parsha. Um, and to a degree, that's why Eliezer's name isn't specifically mentioned. He's just referred to as the Evid, as the servant. His identity isn't important. It's rather the, the reflection, the glimmer, the glean of Avraham Avinu. But alongside of Eliezer, Throughout this saga of Eliezer traveling to Aram Naharayim, throughout this saga, it's the, the camels, the gemalim. And the Torah is very deliberate about describing the fact that these camels were taken. How many camels were taken? Ten camels, Vayikacha Evet Asara Gemalim, Migmale Adonav, from his master's camels. Vayavrecha Gemalim Michutzleir, these camels were then holstered or tied down outside of the city. So the travel itself, the journey, is described almost through the lenses of the camels. And then Eliezer's test to try to determine which which woman would be appropriate for Yitzchak. He doesn't just wait to see which woman will offer him water, but which woman would offer he and his camels water. And a third time, when Eliezer is describing, or when Eliezer arrives at the house of Lavan and Besuel, Torah is very determined to describe that food was given to the camels. And when Eliezer describes the wealth and affluence that his master had achieved, he described how many camels Hashem had delivered. If you just take a quick look and count the amount of times the camels were mentioned, enough with the camels. Who cares about the camels? Why are the camels so important? Um, I live in Israel, and obviously in a Mideast setting, we have more contact with camels, but... Even in Alon Shvot, I see a camel from time to time. They aren't important parts of my experience. What are these camels symbolizing? And you could take a very compartmentalized view and in each context explain the importance of the camels, but there's obviously a larger holistic message. The reappearance of the camels in so many different contexts in Parshish Chayesara is meant to convey primarily two things. Number one, distance. In those days to travel at such great distances, you couldn't hop on a donkey. Horses weren't available. The first time we see horses is in Parshas B'Shalach. And they're seen in a military context of Paros, Susver, 
And donkeys, of course, are very poor travelers. They're very inefficient. They can carry weights. They'll, of course, short distances, but they're not meant for travel. Camels are the airplanes of ancient Mesopotamia. And Avram is traveling. Where is he traveling? Back to his family. He had departed that family in Haran two parashiyos ago. And the camels traveling back with Eliezer, back to his family, are a textual, alliterative, or, or literary device to connote Avram traveling back to his homeland. Though he had to depart, though he had to disengage, though he had to sever himself from his background, from his past, from his father, this is Avram in Parshas Chayesara, trying to reach some sort of closure, trying to return in part to his family, as much as his mission and his ideology had dictated a departure and a disengagement, through marriage at least, he will recover and recuperate and reunite with that family, and drag them as best he can along that metaphysical and theological journey of his. And ultimately, even though most of the family doesn't rejoin him, a emissary of the family, part of the DNA of that family, will be reinserted into his own genetic future, and Rifka will bear children. And despite the fact that there's a loyalty that's on display in Avram, he can't live in Aram Naraim, he can't live in Charim, but he doesn't snub them, he doesn't ignore them, as much as those great visions of history come calling him and draw him ineluctably away from that family, he returns to that family, and despite it being such a long journey, and it had to be a long journey, because he had to disembark and disengage from that family. He couldn't just move to the next town. He had to move at great distance from his original family. At this point, he's returning. And the Torah highlights the camels as a device to demonstrate how far he journeyed back to his family. Number two. The camels are laden with riches, with gifts, with affluence, with ornaments, with jewelry, with probably currency. Camels have the strength to carry camels themselves. Extremely expensive. And it's very evident that the camels are meant to portray a portrait of Avram having become wealthy, having become affluent, having achieved not just religious, not just family success, but material success, which is reiterated by that very, very well-known signature pasuk, Avraham zakein babayamim, v'hashem berach es Avraham bakol. And kol in this respect, Chazal varies drushes for kol, he had a daughter, he eliminated the Yitzhahara. But Avraham and the Avos have to be portrayed, not just as religious successes, but ultimately as financial and commercial successes, because that was the message of monotheism. That was the message of Avraham, that worshipping Hashem, a monotheistic God, is not a retreat from this world, but an advance of this world. And Hashem covets human welfare and human prosperity. That's why Avraham was an agent of chesed, because his message couldn't just be religious, but it was religion and human experience intertwined. And at this stage, Avraham has to be presented as a man of wealth, a man who has achieved not of overwhelming wealth, not of wealth achieved through disingenuous or through deceitful manner. It's obvious we return back to the section of Avram refusing to take any of the booty, any of the, uh, the, the riches of war from the king of stone. He didn't want anyone to think that, uh, that anyone else had enriched Avram, Ani Hasharti Yes Avram, because he wanted his affluence to be associated with his religious message. That's why it was so important to Avram not to receive any gifts from the king of stone. He knew he'd be rich, but that wealth had to be delivered solely through his 
religious journey, his religious pursuit, his religious mission. So the camels don't just connote the great distance that Avram journeys or Eliezer journeys, it also connotes the fact that Avram has achieved material stability or even material affluence through no one's assistance, through his own hands, through this uh, synchronicity between religion and human welfare that he so deeply believed in and so deeply espoused. And you can contrast the arrival of Avraham in Parshas Chayasara or the arrival of Eliezer, the emissary of Avraham, with the arrival in Aram Haraim of Yaakov who's penniless and stalked. And Yaakov will one day achieve his wealth, but it will be long deferred and long delayed. But it's clear that the camels themselves are an icon of wealth and they're laden with wealth and jewelry and currency. Demonstrate this is a man who has stood to his convictions, to his principles, to his belief in Hashem, and that hasn't in any way shrunken his experience in this world, but has only enhanced it by leading to material success. So the camels connote the great distance, the camels connote the great wealth of Avraham, and finally the camels also, as Chazal say, the attention paid to the camels. They're walking in file, they're carefully supervised by Eliezer, they're hungry, and that's why Rivka has to feed them. They haven't grazed freely. They haven't drank water freely. And as Chazal say, that Avram refused to allow his camels to simply wander about and snare or snatch food or vegetation from other people's fields, though that possibly would have been the accepted moral standard, Chazal say. They were recognized everywhere they went. Because they were carefully holstered and carefully muzzled you shouldn't attack others. You shouldn't eat from others. And even, even levels that would have been tolerable or accepted in the common, common custom, in the common province. Avraham knew he was a role model and he embraced that fate of being a role model. And you could hear the cat calls. Oh, Avraham's a hypocrite. He speaks about religion. But look at his camels. He doesn't even attend to his camels. Sometimes we're very wary of embracing the role of a role model. We don't want to impose ourselves as role models, chas That's cheap. That's artificial. That's, um, that's pedantic. But sometimes, inevitably, people look to you at all levels as the Jew, as the religious Jew, as the seriously religious Jew, as the person of chasid. Whatever, whatever achievements you aspire to and achieve, inevitably people will then cast you or slot you in a certain profile. And you can't avoid it. It's heavy. We'd rather not adopt standards solely because others are looking at us or solely to, to win other people's ratification. As I mentioned before, that's cheap. But we also have to recognize, we also have to recognize the resonance of our personality, the presence that we create, and we can't avoid it. Sometimes it becomes too existential, too individualistic. I don't want to change my lifestyle one iota because then I suffer the absence of integrity and honesty and authenticity. As long as it isn't artificial, as long as it isn't duplicious or hypocritical. But sometimes we have to take an extra standard for ourselves. Very often people that are are rabbis like myself or affiliated with rabbis, families of rabbis complain about being cast into the limelight. So obviously there are challenges and and people have to know whether they're capable before they take those roles. But ultimately that comes with the territory and an avamon goy must have recognized that people are looking for inspiration and also people are looking to catch hypocrisy. And if you can provide integrity and consistency... Savram's camels are carefully, carefully supervised by Eliezer. Every moment he's watching those camels, tending to those camels, feeding those camels. It's not just traveling and acting based on the common, average, accepted conventions. 
but those camels reflect Avram. So the camels of Parshas Chayesara reflect perhaps three different notes, three different qualities of Avraham's final achievements. Number one, the great distance he travels, not himself personally, he's an old man, but that he dispatches Eliezer to travel, to reunite with his family, to reach that closure despite his ideological calling. He does not, he does not detach from his family. There's no severing. There's loyalty. Number two, the wealth that he had achieved, which was really the final corroboration and confirmation of his message that serving Hashem is not at the expense of this world. It's meant to enhance and enrich, literally. Number two, not just the wealth, number three, not just the wealth of the camels themselves or the currencies and jewelry they were carrying, but the camels as reflection of Avraham and more importantly, the sense that Avraham didn't balk that challenge of broadcasting a message and living up to the standards of that message and rather than allowing people to cast aspersion, to detract or to denigrate his message. Shabbat Shalom.